Hello and welcome to this special episode of Southeast Asia Dispatches brought to you by New Narrative. I'm your host, PJ Thumb. Southeast Asia Dispatches is a fortnightly podcast series bringing you news, interviews and commentary from around Southeast Asia. This week, however, we're going to focus on the biggest topic in the region's most populous country, the upcoming Indonesian presidential election. Over 180 million eligible voters across the archipelago will be heading to the polls on the 17th of April to vote in the elections. Incumbent President Joko Widodo, who is commonly known as Jokowi, is fighting for a second term. Jokowi and his new vice-presidential pick, Ma'ruf Amin, are standing under the banner of the Indonesian Democratic Party of Struggle, or PDIP. They're facing off against former Army General Prabowo Subianto and former Deputy Governor of Jakarta, Sandiaga Uno, who are contesting as candidates of the Garindra Party. Jokowi, often portrayed as a left-wing politician, has surprised voters and political analysts alike with his vice-presidential pick. Maruf Amin is the head of Indonesia's largest Muslim organization and has been responsible for unpopular fatwa against the LGBT community and religious minorities. Prabowo, on the other hand, is a former military strongman with his own challenging human rights record, leaving voters wondering whether they should even vote at all. For this special episode of Southeast Asia Dispatches, Aisha Llewellyn, our deputy editor for Bahasa Indonesia, Nita Roshita, our consulting editor for Kalimantan, and Ian Moss, our consulting editor for Sulawesi, discuss the mood ahead of the elections. Speaking over the phone from three different parts of the country, their conversation covers the strengths and weaknesses of the candidates, the main themes that may win or lose the election, and their predictions for the outcome. So um, let's just get right into it. So the elections are coming up in April and we have an election in Indonesia every five years uh, to elect a new president. So how do we feel? What do you think the general mood is in the country this time? Um, If I can start with you, Ian. Uh, Well, now that you mentioned that the presidential election or the election just coming in 2018, it reminds me that in 2018 we had another election and it feels like we've been talking about elections for a long time. Uh, it actually feels like talking about with with people around me in Sulawesi and Maluku that um, elections are just nonstop, nonstop banter. So people were uh, talking about um, the each uh, officials in each each region, up to the province, up to the president, and it's not always about parties. It's always about kind of the individual, just like, do they seem like good people? Do they have a history of corruption? This kind of stuff. And I don't know if people are getting tired, but it seems like we see the word election a lot. I don't know how, uh, how should I say it's nostalgic or, or not, but I got the point that people are t- really tired this time. When I, when I talk to uh, people in Kalimantan, like um, my three respondents actually, so... I talk to them, how is the enthusiasm of the people near you or surrounding you? And they said, it's very quiet these times. I mean, like, not even people wanted to talk about politics, not even in the family. And one of these um, uh, friends said, his uncle said, whatever you choose, whoever you choose, it doesn't uh, produce rice you eat. So <laughs> basically, that's 
that's really shocking i mean like in 2014 like everyone's really excited to 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 go with this uh democratic uh party uh how do you say uh, like ambience euphoria of the political participations but not these times one of these uh friends of mine and said uh she's she's actually she's 26 years old and she's never uh giving her vote before into two previous uh, elections she's one uh, she she was thinking about uh giving her voice this time or voting uh on these elections but when she learned more and more and then she said uh I'll, it's it's kind of like uh make me want to puke because instead <laughs> instead of people uh trying to introduce to exciting me with with the programs with the real programs i only see people mocking each other i mean like uh all the supporters from each side are mocking each other so uh, what did you expect people like me uh like the 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 early voters uh will how do you say like excited to 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 give vote i know the consequences if not giving vote means like uh i don't really involve in this uh democracy but it's not too excited anymore so that's what she said and then she she said that uh like uh it's easy for the millennials to 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 learn more about the candidates but uh where to where to find the good resource uh how do you say like the source of uh, clear and independent information when all the public's uh, the public spheres are being occupied with the mocking you know like the mocking <laughs> how do you say in english i'm like only people talking about uh, bad things about each other instead of giving clear informations for the young voters so that's what she said yes and i think when i think in 2014 just to put it kind of in context as well for our listeners jokowi was the first indonesian president who came from outside the ranks of the military or who wasn't from a politically or religiously elite family so he was kind of pitched as this breath of fresh air to indonesian politics which has always been you know seen as very corrupt and there's a lot of nepotism in it uh, and many of um indonesia's former presidents came from the ranks of the military uh, and so there was this very kind of top heavy feeling to indonesian politics and jokowi had a very very quick rise in many ways in that he was the mayor of solo he became the governor of jakarta and then became the president before he'd even finished his term uh and i think that there was a lot of hope in the country at that time there was a lot of there was a feeling that this was a big change and he was i mean lauded in the international press as this new face of indonesian democracy and this uh they called him i think time magazine called him our great new hope and all of this and there was a feeling i think of excitement amongst voters that there was really a change coming and that they could really affect change through their vote It seems also that right now that that might be actually Jokowi's biggest strength because it seems like he's riding on that reputation that he's kept. I don't know how he's kept it because there's been a lot of problems in the last five years, but um, he's kept that kind of reputation of, of freshness and especially going against Prabowo, who's been in the military camp for a while. 
it seems like, yeah, that, that could be, at least from the people that I talk to, they still have that same perception of him as, as in freshness. Do they? I'm interested in that because I would say that the people I've spoken to, I think um, Jokowi's kind of lost his shine for them a little bit because... I mean, many of his policies when he came in, he I mean, he said, for example, that he was going to apologize for human rights abuses and that there was going to be some element of justice to historic yeah. human rights cases, which just has never happened. And he's had ample time to do that. Um, so the fact that he hasn't addressed human rights cases, for example, I think a lot of people have lost faith in him around things like that. And then, as you rightly said, Ian, um, picking Maruf Amin... Um, who is responsible for overseeing fatwa um, against, you know, the LGBT community um, uh, in favor of female circumcision um, and, you know, in favor of um, capital punishment for members of the LGBT community, I think has only worsened people's um, view of him. But then on the other hand, if you're not going to vote for Jokowi, then you can vote for Prabowo, who has, you know, a a very difficult human rights record in his own in his own right. Um, For our listeners, uh, things like he was accused of human rights abuses um, back in 1998, which he's always denied. um, And in other places like in Timor-Leste, again, which he's denied. Um, but he has a kind of uh, quite a difficult record that he brings with him. So I think there's a case of that's maybe why there's not much excitement this time around, because you're sort of you've got two candidates with quite checkered human rights records. I don't know, Nita, what do you think? Do you think there's that feeling that neither because we're going to go on and talk about the strengths and the weaknesses of both candidates. So I'm interested, Nita, in what you would say. Do you think that they both have quite tarnished records now uh it's um you know the last uh the the the, the new term that people was uh, uh people spreading right now is pick the lesser evil so <laughs> people uh people's it's a vote for uh Prabowo is is not an option, but also has to realize that uh, that Jokowi is surrounded also by the military, who was also involved in several uh, human rights cases, like Wiranto. Uh, historically, he also involved in 1998, and then also uh, other cases. So. Uh, like uh, we know Jokowi, we, we, we really hope that Jokowi will bring something uh, to human rights and give uh, attentions and, uh, how do you say, fulfill his promises in 2014. But it's never happened because he also surrounded by people who's involved in, in these human rights cases. So that makes people will think, uh, you know, like, that's uh, that's one of the reasons why Jokowi lost his charm uh, in terms of human rights issues. Yes, I think lost his charm is a very good way of, of putting it. But if we if we are going to let's give them the benefit of the doubt, uh, as we must, um, in the interests of fairness, obviously, the human rights issues are a problem in both camps. Um, what yeah. about the strengths of the candidates? Anything? <laughs> 
<laughs> the selling points the selling point is that uh, the Jokowi supporters always bring up is the economic side the infrastructures in in East Indonesia in Papua in other places uh, in Kalimantan and also in Sulawesi I guess yeah. that's uh, the key uh, the key campaign uh, point that people brings about uh, Jokowi the infrastructures and also the strength of rupees against uh, US dollars um yeah if you're talking about this uh, the the issue that become the highlight point for uh, jokowi that's the issues uh, but but when i ask uh, uh, kalimantan's friends and then and i i i ask them do you do you feel that infrastructures is impact your life in east kalimantan especially because i'm talking to friends in east kalimantan and then he said which one which infrastructures that you think impact us directly we have only free toll uh, freeway between samarinda and balipapan but other places in in east kalimantan is still the same so uh, infrastructures is not the key point for uh, uh, strength in East Kalimantan for Jokowi. Jokowi has had many um, issues around ethnicity and around even around religion. Um, just some background on that: he was. People have said that he was actually Chinese Indonesian. <laughs> um, there's been like yeah. doctored photos of him at like pro-communist rallies before he was born I mean all this kind of thing I mean he's really had this like birther moment kind of like Obama did um where yeah. people have really really questioned um yeah his ethnicity his religion he even went to Mecca um just before the last election I think it was for Umrah to make the point you know that he's really Muslim you know um so yeah he's definitely faced a much tougher time uh, than Prabowo and Prabowo's whole message is nationalism um, yeah. at home you know all the way what do you think Nita about Prabowo do you think that he's got a he's got a better world view or a bigger world view a pragmatic world view I guess <laughs> agree on the pragmatic uh, world view and I won't question his nationalism, but uh, but what comes right now is questioning his Islamic way of life. Like uh, is uh, like people's always questioning uh, about uh, religions of Jokowi, but they never questioning about uh, Islam way of life of Prabowo. I always think that. I, politics should be clear from from religions but in Indonesia it's always related to each other so like uh, no matter how how you trying to as clear as possible seeing politics but uh, when it comes to religions that's why Joko is trying so hard to prove that he's Islam truly Islam and a Muslim and uh, and also by 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 choosing uh, VP uh, uh, a scholar uh, Islamic scholar but yeah Prabowo doesn't have to 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 prove that his Islamic way but but people so this is really interesting so I mean like if if religion is really influencing Indonesians way of politics People are reluctant to see how how Joko will Joko uh, sorry how Prabowo lives as a Muslim, but when it comes to to Jokowi, they're always questioning his religions. I don't know why. 
maybe one of you can answer my questions too. So I was thinking about maybe they just hate Jokowi. So they're just going to try anything to fight him, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, so I think Jokowi is definitely held to a much higher standard in that way than Prabowo is. But I think perhaps Ian's point that if you're a military man and you've, I mean, Prabowo has given speech after speech, you know, where he said, you know, I was a professional soldier and I swore to uphold the constitution and, you know, I've served my country. It's quite difficult to, whatever we may think about Prabowo, and there's, there's certainly a lot to say, um, to question that that narrative is difficult. I mean, you know, he has put in the time serving his country. I mean, we can say in questionable way in questionable ways, but um, I think that and because Indonesia has such a a legacy of of leaders making the jump from the military to politics, yeah. um, I think that's just what we're used to, I suppose, in Indonesia. Um, but one thing that I've just realized as well is that we're talking about the, the two presidential candidates and Maruf Amin, who is Jokowi's vice presidential pick. And no one's mentioned poor Santiago Uno, who is who's investing a lot. <laughs> yeah, who's actually not poor. He's very, very rich. Um, but we've so he's a businessman and who's Prabowo's vice presidential pick. But I think it's interesting that none of us have mentioned him up until this point. And I wonder if that sort of uh, says quite a lot in that we sort of have forgotten about him. How do we feel? He's he's sort of very new to politics. He's 49 years old. So he's quite young compared to the others. And um, he was just elected to the deputy to be deputy governor of Jakarta, hasn't fulfilled that term before now becoming a vice presidential pick. So it's been quite a meteoric rise and a surprising one, some would say. But we, what do we know about Santiago? So, so Santiago Uno is, um, uh, <laughs> he's a very, he's a, uh, he's a very close to young entrepreneur, social entrepreneur in Indonesia. That's why he picks uh, one of the the uh, the spokespersons, the campaign persons, as Gamal Albin Said. They're really close to each other, and what they they bring is to encourage millennials to be a social entrepreneurs. So, uh, and also encouraging small how do you say uh, UKM small business small and middle middle business so that's the 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 the, the selling point of uh, Santiago Uno and from what I read from Tempo uh, like in December uh, Santiago Uno is the one who's really work hard to introduce uh, the the the, second, the the number two candidates, him and also Prabowo. So he's the one who's really going on the uh, going on the grounds to 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 meet with people and talk to the people. So that's what uh, that's that's what I know about Sandiaga Uno. And yeah, I think Sandiaga Uno was chosen to be almost an exact mirror of Jacoby, or to be able to counter all the arguments that Jacoby could use against Prabowo. So things like being too old in politics or not having an economic record, um, 
or not being close to young generations, this is what Santiago accomplishes. So in, in the same way that like Maruf Amin can kind of be a barrier against uh, maybe attacks on Jacoby's religion, Santiago Uno can be the barrier on Proboa for attacks on the economy or youthfulness. And uh, honestly, Sandy seems to be doing it pretty well. <laughs> yes. So we maybe we should talk a little bit about um, abstaining in the elections, which in Indonesia we call golput. Um, uh-huh. So there's been a lot of talk by a lot of people that they are going to abstain. Um, there's been a lot of talk on social media about abstaining um, for the reasons that we've already discussed earlier. So I think particularly Jokowi's failure to act on human rights and then also his pick by choosing Maruf Amin um, has meant that many people who would have voted for him are now going to abstain. And there's been a lot of discussion around that. Yeah, in last year for the governor of East Kalimantan elections, uh, my friend said, uh, if you if you read the news, the the... The uh, the abstains number is forty percent. People are not voting, uh, not coming to to the to the ballot. So it's it's kind of like uh, how do you say the emphasis of what you said that the local people when they don't like the when they don't like the candidate they just prefer not to go to to the to uh, and give their their vote. So that happens. And then uh, I don't know if you also read the the last week about uh, the conference about Golput and then these people from the Golput said that Golput it's not or abstaining is not something uh, it's not crime it's the right for every people. So yeah, it's a big issue right now in Indonesia. I yeah and I think uh, yeah, so right now, the the idea of goalput is definitely very popular on social media and in Jakarta and places like that. Um, the people that I've spoken to in Sulawesi and Maluku, it's been something that they've done for a long time because they've understood that Jakarta and Java kind of do their own thing and they will end up trying to control the land that's in Sulawesi and Maluku anyways. And a lot of these people are also close with uh, indigenous peoples groups as well who themselves just like Aman uh, just like the indigenous indigenous peoples alliance um, would abstain their vote would not support a candidate in the election and that's that's been something that's happening for a while abstention is something that we actually see quite a lot in Indonesia in the political landscape um, and in many ways is quite successful um, if people don't like candidates then they'll abstain and there've been various um, instances of this happening, and I can't remember. Nita, do you remember where was it that there was they they just wouldn't vote for anybody, and it there was actually an empty ballot box in the end. I think that was in Makassar. Actually, it was the 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 mayor election in in 2018, just last year. Uh, one of the candidates was disqualified, so it ended up having only one person on the ballot, but they. I had to have something else, I guess, and the person who was in the the empty box, so there's no person, the empty person won. Right. Yeah, so sorry, that wasn't actually a, a strict case of ab- abstaining from votes, right? But it was abs- it was voting for an, for a, for an empty ballot box. Um, so to say that Indonesian voters are not savvy about voting out people that they don't want um, to be leaders in their community 
uh, it's something that we have we have seen a lot and does happen at a local level too with varying degrees of success um, but I don't I don't I've never heard as much discussion about gold put I don't think previously I think this is the the first time that I've heard it being such a big thing on social media it really seems like it's taking off as this movement um but it is also causing quite a lot of contention um there was a very kind of fire and brimstone op-ed piece in the jakarta post i think it was recently uh saying that you know if you don't vote that you're kind of thumbing your nose at democracy and that you know we've you know it's taken all this time for indonesia to get to a point where we've got you know fair and democratic elections um and so that people should vote. I'm also hearing that uh, the General Election Commission, the KAPU, is trying to hold uh, socialization sessions with people in the cities and villages and particularly young people to try to just tell them to vote and spread it on social media because uh, I think they, they believe it's going to be a problem. Moving on and talking, we're going to talk a little bit more about um, Jokowi and things that may hurt his chances. Because I would, I think probably even maybe a month or two months ago, um, as we were just sort of really gearing up to a led election season in earnest, it really did seem like a one-horse race. Um, it seemed like Jokowi was going to have an easy win, um, and it. I think it probably still looks that way, but. Um, things have changed a little bit in the last in the last few weeks so we we're going to talk about the Abu Bakr Bashir case so Abu Bakr Bashir is the so-called spiritual mastermind behind uh Jamaat Islamiyah uh the terrorist group who were responsible for the Bali bombings which killed over 200 people and he was imprisoned it was put forward in the media that they it was that Abu Bakr Bashir was going to be released on parole, uh, in part because of his ill health, because he's in his eighties, um, and there was a huge, huge outcry about this. And the backlash actually, I thought, grew far more quickly than I thought it would. Um, I thought that internationally it would be a big problem because obviously um, uh, the death toll of Australians was 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 really high. Uh, Americans. Um, and so I thought all the internationally it would cause a problem, but I didn't think there would be such a big backlash in Indonesia. But it grew very quickly. And then it came out that Jokowi said that actually he wasn't going to just parole Abu Bashir without him fulfilling all the requirements. So there was talk in the beginning that he was going to be given kind of an unconditional release. Um and one of the things you have to do for an unconditional, uh, well, sorry, for parole in Indonesia is that you have to pledge allegiance to Pancasila and to Indonesia uh, as a nation. And Abu Bakr Bashir has always said that he wouldn't do this. And so it, there was some question about, well, how is he going to be released? And it, and, it, and it seemed to be put forward in the media that Jokowi had decided to waive all these requirements. And then as the backlash grew, Jokowi came out and said, he's got to fulfill these requirements. That's kind of always been the case. And so if he doesn't want to do that, then he'll stay in prison kind of on his own terms, like of his own choice um, and won't be paroled after all. And now it seems to have died down, but it really was kind of a, a big flashpoint in the lead up to the election. 
Um, and a lot of people said that it was a really kind of dumb move on Jokowi's part because it, as we've said, he was this meant to be this like you know new hope for Indonesia, um, and so to pardon a convicted terrorist right before election season seemed quite an odd thing to do. So, what do we think about this, Nita? Do you think that this is? Do you think that it was a bad move by Jokowi? Well, from the Kalimantan side, uh, the Abu Bakar Bashir is not something that they're really concerned about. And uh, because religion's issue is not something big in Kalimantan because they feel like they live, coexist uh, uh, with a different religion uh, people. Uh, so but Abu Bakar Bashir case is not going to change uh, their point of view on Jokowi. That's, that's what... Uh, uh, friends of Kalimantan said. Yes, am I right in thinking, Nita, in the recent polling, because they do a poll every year of the most tolerant cities in Indonesia, and I think, mm-hmm. was it somewhere in Kalimantan was number one this year as the most tolerant place in all of Indonesia? Uh, like you said, yeah. because there's so many different groups and yeah. different religions living alongside each other. So this kind yeah. of sort of religious politics is not something that is such a big issue in Kalimantan. No, it's not. Okay. What about you, Ian? What do you think about that case? I think the only explanation is is that kind of political move, but it doesn't... Uh, I mean, maybe it worked for some people, but it I, it still doesn't seem to quite accomplish what maybe it, it, it would seek to accomplish. But the most important thing, so Abu Bakr Bashir is still in prison. Um, yeah. But but from that case, because that's just happened, do you think that we're going to see more of this kind of thing? Do you think we're going to see more, especially from Jokowi, these sort of big moves to try and pander to various different bases? I think that's a good question. I, th- I think he was doing that at the very beginning. Uh, in September, he came out with two... Um, effectively presidential moves, regulations, decrees that... One that said uh, palm oil plantation licenses would be on a moratorium for three years, and the other that said that there was going to be this big agrarian reform that a lot of people have been asking for um, since 2014. Uh, And besides those two things, at least on the environmental angle, he hasn't addressed them again. And for a lot of people, those two things were not even close to enough because, like, the people who were pushing for a palm oil plantation license moratorium were not asking for three years. They were asking for 25 years because it's going to take so much time to, to repair the land, especially after, um, especially when Jacoby's reputation was tarnished or burned, should I say, by the palm oil fires in 2015. Uh, and then with the agrarian reforms as well, it was... It came out to be a very bureaucratic way of saying uh, we will we will again try to address people own land and people don't own land and what is state land and things like this. But there was no mention of indigenous people's land, which has been one of the biggest criticisms um, of uh, his promises, uh, his promises that were not kept. Uh, so things like that, like trying to address the environmental groups in Indonesia he it seemed like he tried to address that early on but it was not up to snuff uh yeah Jokowi's also promised uh 12 million hectares for uh social forestry and they're really catching up the numbers until April 
uh, next April to to fulfill the promises. I don't know how it's going to work. And also, there's uh, some issues, uh, big issues on that uh, policies too. But uh, people said, uh, some groups said it's a it's some kind of like a good movement, uh, giving a, a legal status for for small farmers using the same uh, these schemes of uh, social forestry and uh, and get like 12 million hectares uh, land in all over Indonesia and also there's a one map uh, policies uh, following uh, follow the moratorium for the palm oil one of the the the, the first uh, steps is to Kind of like, how do you say, reviewing all these uh, permissions of uh, palm oil companies and also, uh, you know, like reviewing all the data so they, they will have one uh, big information and one map of uh, Indonesia, which one is actually numbers of uh, palm oil plantations in Indonesia, because that's the, the data that we never had before. So people said that, uh, the group said that moratorium is, I know it's, it's very short, they know it's very short times, but at least it's something that uh, they've been looking for, uh, they've been waiting for, uh, and in these three years, Maybe it's it's not going to be enough times to to kind of like fulfill or really uh, realizing the, the 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 one map policies on that. So yeah, it's a lot of works from from Jokowi because he's been uh, he's has a lot of promises that he needs to fill uh, in April. So we're going to see a lot of move uh, movement from him. It's more like a political movement to to win his uh, his his positions in these uh, elections uh, in the next few uh, few months. That's from the environmental side. I don't know others uh, probably uh, YouTube probably can also see from 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 the side of economics or politics. We'll see what happens. What I would say is we're in January now, the election's in April, and so a lot can happen in that time <laughs> in politics, yeah. especially in politics in Indonesia. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, my prediction for the moment, I have to say, is I think Jokowi is going to comfortably win again um, for lots of reasons we discussed in the show. But quickly, Nita, because um, we're almost at the end now, what do you think? Prabowo or Jokowi? Who's going to win? <laughs> so I think it's Jokowi is still going to win. Uh, the only question is how big is going to uh, numbers of abstains. If uh, yeah, it's a Jokowi side who's really afraid of the abstains numbers. Yeah, and Ian. Uh, I don't like to make predictions, especially it's such a dichotomous choice. But I think I'll say that I think Jokowi will lose a lot of his base. And maybe I'll leave it at that. Yeah, no, I would agree with you. All right. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to both of you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you too. That was Aisha Llewellyn, Nita Roshita and Ian Moss talking about the upcoming Indonesian election. New Narrative has published stories covering the Indonesian election, which examine the implications for human rights in the country and the campaign rhetoric used by both sides. We'll be bringing you more election-related stories in the lead-up to the vote in April. You can find them on our website at newnarrative.com. 
Be sure to tune in to New Narrative's Political Agenda next week, our fortnightly podcast on current affairs in Singapore. And if you enjoy what we're doing, please do support our work by subscribing to New Narrative at newnarrative.com slash join. Subscriptions start at just 52 US dollars a year. That's just one US dollar a week. This is PJ Thumb wishing all our listeners a great week ahead. Sampai jumpa! Sampai jumpa!